We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all the fine folks on the other end of the speaker. Man, man, oh man. How many of you guys anticipated? Now, be honest. No, you know what? No, let me, let me, let me back this up. Let me back this up. Beep, beep, beep. Put it in reverse. I think a lot of you guys, just by, and I felt like this too. I think a lot of you guys predicted the 49ers would beat the Buccaneers for sure, 100%. I'm not sure many of us envisioned that type of an ass kicking. The 49ers beating the Buccaneers 35 to 7. We've seen victories for the 49ers that were mainly defensive driven with some offense sprinkled in. And this time we got both. This was an offensive ass-whooping led by rookie quarterback Brock Purdy and a defensive ass-whooping led by everybody and their mother, maybe particularly Dre Greenlaw. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But damn, was this an impressive game for the 49ers in every way, shape, or form. And obviously standing at the top of this gold-plated pyramid of impressiveness is Brock Purdy, and you you have to give him his flowers. There is just no way that you can look at this game, and, and even among all of these standout performances, which we will get to, and not point directly at him, because it was not a game-managing performance. It was not a rookie just dinking, his dunk, dinking and dunking his way down the field, hoping to avoid mistakes and just kind of operate the offense as a status quo. This was a young, fearless quarterback slinging his way down the field against one of the NFL's best defenses. It was, and I'm not even going to go, I'm going to try and avoid hyperbole as I talk about this game. I'm not going to crown Brock Purdy as, you know, the 49ers' next starting quarterback that you never knew was coming. I'm not going to go that far. 
I'm going to try and stay in the moment for what this was. And I know that a lot of the things you're going to read on social media, a lot of the things you're going to read from from basically any direction are going to tell you that Purdy is you know the next coming of of whoever you want to tag as a an unexpectedly great quarterback. But in this game and part of the okay, and let me add to that. Part of the reason I don't want to get too excited about Brock Purdy right now is because of the fact that Great quarterbacks are great consistently, and we haven't had a chance to see Brock Purdy consistently. We've only seen him in two games. But in those two games, he's looked very good. And against the Buccaneers, a defense that was going to test him in more ways than one, he looked very good. Brock Purdy is the first quarterback making his first start to beat Tom Brady. Tom Brady had faced six other quarterbacks. No, five other quarterbacks making their first starts and beat them all. So <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant, the final pick of the draft, Brock Purdy, was the first quarterback to go toe-to-toe with Tom Brady and beat him. And, I mean, that's kind of a, it's kind of a silly step, but at the same time it's a cool step because Tom Brady's been here, done that, and it, and it's, it was cool to be able to witness something like that. And that just kind of speaks to the unexpectedness of it all. Cool, my fantasy quarterback just threw a a touchdown. Need that. It's just, it's hard to put this game into words. It really is tough to quantify. But if you're just going to keep it down to earth, Brock Purdy was nothing short of impressive. But we'll get to that. We will elaborate much more on Purdy here in a little bit. We've got to get some injury updates out of the way. I know the one you're all waiting to hear and have probably already heard about is Debo Samuel, who... Uh, suffered an injury in the first half. It's not as serious as it looked. He was carted off the field, holding his knee slash you know ankle. It, it didn't look great at all, especially a player that's that's dealt with some injuries in Samuel. And obviously, everybody's thinking, okay, this is one of the absolute cornerstones of the 49ers offense on the ground right now, rolling around as they kind of like drive forward towards the playoffs. But in a somewhat turn of positivity. The 49ers believe that Debo Samuel did not break his ankle, it, as it was deemed an ankle injury, not a knee injury, did not break his, break his ankle, and it is believed to be a high ankle sprain, which should not be minimized. I saw a lot of people tweeting about the fact that a high ankle sprain wasn't a significant injury. It's not season-ending, but it is very significant, especially, I mean, YouTube what a high ankle sprain is. There's tearing of ligaments. It's there's bone. There's muscle ripping away from bone. It's pretty brutal. It's I, once I kind of learned how significant a high ankle sprain was, I really started to back off. Because when you think when you think ankle sprain, you think, oh man, I was running around on the playground and I stepped off, I stepped in a little bit of a, a, a hole and twisted my ankle. That is not what a high ankle sprain is. It is. A brutal, brutal injury. But when you're looking at it compared to a season-ending injury, much easier to talk about. Recovery time for a high ankle sprain is typically four to six weeks. The 49ers are five weeks away from the playoffs. They've got that fifth week being the week of a playoff game. They've got the Seahawks in week 15, the Commanders in week 16, the Raiders in week 17, and the Cardinals in week 18, and then they will be playing in a playoff game uh, the week after that. 
Now, this is if you're unaware, the playoff formatting changed, I believe, two years ago. The only team that is given a first round bye is the first seed. It used to be the first and second seed. And if that were the case, the 49ers could very well be the second seed heading into the playoffs and in the old system would have earned themselves a first round bye. But that that there there really is, unless the, the floor just dropped out on the Philadelphia Eagles, there really is no way the 49ers are going to catch them. So as of right now, Debo Samuel's status for the week one of playoffs, which the 49ers seemed on a very good track to be to be entering, is uh, is in question. But in the end, if you're a glass half full type of person, it's not season ending. It's not season ending, and you know we can we can take a smite, a smite, slight, 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 slight sigh of relief. Just a little one. Give yourself that. Um, in addition to Debo Samuel, we have actually a Brock Purdy injury. Said his oblique kind of tightened up throughout the game, probably from all the hits. Um, oblique, just an uh, ab muscle ache. And you know what? I, I forgot to mention this. I wanted to, I wanted to uh, to say this. Uh, Doctor Nirav Pandya. He's a, I, I think he's a 49ers fan. He's a doctor that kind of is commonly in the mix among the 49ers. Uh, seen in terms of injuries he said return to play timelines for ankle sprains remember sprain equals tearing of ligament depend on the following factors the grade of the injury micro partial or full the number of ligaments involved and location high low medial or low lateral and associated bone bruising so there are bunches of factors that are going to go into the recovery time of Debo Samuel's high uh, high ankle sprain now something tells me and this is just the old gut speaking to me that when the 49ers playing that we unless this injury being ends up being more significant than everything we've heard so far, and that could very well be the case because what they do when a player has a significant injury, the first thing they do is get them uh, an X-ray, and then once they can determine that the that there is no breakage, then they will eventually have an MRI once swelling goes down. Sometimes, so I don't expect we'll hear the the details of Debo Samuel's injury until. Tomorrow, I believe. Be nice to get it. It could happen tonight because they're already in Santa Clara. We'll see. Keep an eye out for that. But uh, under the next, Brock Purdy did suffer a oblique injury, which is just your abdomen. Said it was tight. Kyle Shanahan didn't necessarily think that it was a big deal and it would keep him out of their Thursday game against the Seahawks. But uh, you never know. Kyle Shanahan said you never know. Adrenaline goes away, things die down. Purdy didn't seem concerned about it at all, but you just never know. You just never know. Other injuries, um, defensive tackle Kevin Gibbons had a left knee injury. He left the game early on. Uh, defensive lineman Kerry Hyder Jr., who kind of came in and took on some of the burden of Gibbons' injury, uh, he left with an angle injury. He had to be helped off the field with by um, medical staff. Cornerback Ambry Thomas had an angle injury. Cornerback Sam Womack is in concussion protocol. And cornerback Dante Johnson had a knee injury. And then Diamador Lenore, cornerback, uh, also went down towards the end of the game. But I believe he came back in, and, you know, that's a good sign. So we will see. Who just had a touchdown? Jeff Wilson Jr., Oh, Jeff Wilson Jr. ran up the middle. He fumbled, and it was picked up by Tyreek Hill, who ran it 57 yards for a touchdown. That's that's like a cheat. <laughs> that is that's cheating. 
All right, so let's continue on. Let's get into let's get into the meat and potatoes. I'll talk a little bit about the game, and then we'll get into your takeaways, which I'm going to make sure I pull up before I get there, so that we're not sitting around waiting like we're doing right this moment. Right there, there we go. Okay, all right. So let's get into Brock Purdy. Um, just seemed like he was in command. He was calm. The moment wasn't too big for him. He was in control. In my notes, I put that he was calm, cool, crafty, clean, and he orchestrated the offense how you'd hope at a surprisingly good level. Statistically, he completed 16 of 21 passes, which is 76%, well above your average solid play for a quarterback, for 185 yards. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a 134 quarterback rating. For comparison's sake, Tom Brady threw 55 passes, completed 34 of them for 61%, 253 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, a 63.7 quarterback rating. Clearly, the takeaway here is that Brock Purdy is better than Tom Brady. And that's just really all you need to know moving forward. Behave rationally, please. It was really quite impressive um, how unfrazzled Purdy looked. And you're even talking about plays where he's under pressure. You've got a huge play to Christian McCaffrey down the left sideline, uh, dropped in in a bucket for McCaffrey to catch, bobble, re-catch, toe-drag swag for a touchdown, under pressure, Mr. Purdy. Uh, he had another pass under pressure where Brandon Ayuk juked the hell out of a cornerback with a little double move. and. Brock Purdy threw it up to him, underthrew it, but again, under pressure. Ayuk was able to come back, catch the ball, break the tackle, get into the end zone. Had a couple plays to Kittle. There was another move where he had a free defender coming right at him, and he swimmed him and then scrambled and threw it downfield to Debo Samuel for a first down. I mean, he was really making plays that you just don't expect a first-year, first-start quarterback to make. It just was so unexpected against a very solid defense. It's not like he was going up against the Rams or any team that the 49ers have faced that just have a, a defense that might as well stay on the sidelines. He was going up against the Bucks and an experienced defensive coordinator and uh, and looked looked great looked better than good better than good now again it's about consistently can he do this next week against the Seahawks who don't have a great defense now that's going to be in Seattle which adds another layer of tension to the mix it's a divisional game against a divisional rival in a situation where the division is on the line we'll talk more on that later it's a big game, and when you that is when you know you you can test the measure of a player. Not to mention the fact that one of the things you'll commonly hear people say is, "Oh, and well, Purdy's only going to get better with more practice," and that is one hundred percent true, hundred percent true. But at the same time, so will defenses that get to watch film. So will defensive coordinators who spot weaknesses. It, it will be Purdy's job to. One, improve at a faster rate than the defenses. And two, identify his own mistakes 
and improve on those so that a defense can improve on them for him, if, if you get what I'm meaning. So there's still many more things to come, but it, it it's just, damn. There was some there was some quarterback play in there where it was just like damn, that's is this is uh, this is good stuff. Brock Purdy's biggest weakness is probably his arm strength. Does not throw the ball very hard. So if you're a quarterback, the best way that you can and you can make up for the fact that you have a, a less than stellar NFL arm is anticipation. And so far, given his limited reps, Purdy seems to be anticipating the offense and seeing the offense very well. And then probably as your next best friend in order to make plays, despite having a less than than stellar arm, is your ability to improvise. And he's doing that too. So Purdy has a lot of stuff going for him, and he carries himself in a pretty impressive way. You can tell the field's still moving pretty fast. Sometimes he got a little bit of... A little, little bit frozen back there, was, but was able to make up for it with his athleticism. The guy ran in a touchdown in which he shrugged off a defend, defensive lineman who was trying to grab his jersey, made a linebacker miss, and took it into the end zone. Pretty, pretty impressive stuff. The dude had three carries. I don't know why. Oh, did that get erased? Yeah, never mind. I was I was looking at Purdy's yardages. He had one scramble for ten yards to pick up the first down, but I forgot that on that same play, Trent Williams was flagged for holding. Not really a holding penalty that you really beat Trent Williams up too much, given Purdy was scrambling around at that point. The offensive linemen don't really know which way he's flowing. But anyways, another and then another huge standout on the other side of the ball is Dre Greenlaw. We talked about this last pod, and this is not. Me being a genius, I feel like anybody who watches the 49ers can kind of see this happening. But Dre Greenlaw is standing himself up right next to Fred Warner in the same mold as Fred Warner, in the same impact as Fred Warner. He's placing himself in the conversation as to who is the lead dog at the linebacker spot for the 49ers. That's no longer really an argument. There are times where there was a a clean amount of time where Fred Warner was far and away the 49ers best linebacker. And he still is not in terms like, I mean, he's still the 49ers best linebacker, but the whole far and away part has probably disappeared. And I think Fred Warner probably still has a pretty significant advantage in coverage, but Greg Greenlaw was all over the place. He was, the dude had 15 tackles, which is twice as much minus one, as the next closest guy in Jimmy Ward, who had eight. Not only did Dre Greenlaw have 15 tackles, but he added an interception that was no normal interception. The man jumped into the air, then did a Super Mario double jump. Watch it again. You'll see it. Tipped the ball up into the air and then caught it himself for the interception on Tom Brady. And then, after the game, proceeded to have it autographed by Tom Brady. <laughs> An unreal performance. There was a time there towards the fourth quarter where Trey Greenlaw was just running around making every tackle and then talking shit to a very defeated Buccaneers offense as they walked back to the huddle. That man was owning that field. 
He said during the week that he would get himself a Brady interception and get himself a Brady interception he did in extremely an impressive fashion. Fred Warner said after the game that people, analysts, fans, whatever, should talk about Dre Greenlaw how they talk about him. That tells you what kind of person Fred Warner is. That tells you what kind of player Dre Greenlaw is. And I, I think we're seeing that now. We talked about it on the last pod about how there was a big period of time there, maybe a season or two, where we saw Navarro Bowman start to start to insert himself into the conversation along with Patrick Willis, starting to make plays that we were used to seeing Patrick Willis make. And Greenlaw is starting to do that with Warner. At the very least, you know you have yourself an elite pair of linebackers moving forward. Fred Warner's been re-signed. Gray Greenlaw's been re-signed. Probably should be re-signed for more. But let's ride. I should not say that because this is not Broncos country. I hate that Russell Wilson just absorbed that into his beehive of his blob of corniness. Ugh. Now, now no one can even say let's ride. Ah, dang it. Sorry, I'm just wallowing in my disgust on the end of the microphone. That dude is just a freaking tornado of corniness, just sucking everything into his wake, and then when he spits it back out, it's worthless. Ugh. Sorry. Getting out of hand here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. So, the 49ers. Let's talk let's talk 49ers. No, no, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about some of the other players. Let's just briefly hit on the other players because damn, Christian McCaffrey had himself a day, 14 carries for 119 yards. That eight, that's 8.5 yards a pop. One 38-yard touchdown. He also had two catches for 38 34 yards, which included a 27-yard touchdown. Very, very impressive day. He put that offense on his back in a lot of instances, broke a lot of big runs. It was impressive. And then somehow people were still upset that 
Jordan Mason wasn't getting more carries despite the fact that Jordan Mason only got three less carries than McCaffrey. Different parts of the game, of course. Um, one was mainly first half slash third quarter. The other was the rest of the game. Uh, Mason also did very well. 11 carries for 56 yards. That's 5.1 yards a pop. Was basically the 49ers sledgehammer to close out the game to demoralize the uh, the Buccaneers offense. I was I just thought it was weird that Mason was playing well, and, and that is a huge get for the 49ers because they still need that one-two punch. But then people were somehow baffled why Mason didn't get more carries, and I was like, did you forget what Christian McCaffrey did with his carries? The dude averaged 8.5 yards per, went over 100 yards, scored a 38-yarder, and then obviously has his whole bonus in the receiving game. And then there's elements that we don't really take into account, like you know, knowledge of the offense, pass protection, receiving ability, all that stuff, all that stuff. And you know, the, what it, but anyways, very, very good game for both of the 49ers, uh, primary running backs. Even Debo, Debo Samuel had four carries for 21 yards. That's 5.3 a pop. The entire rushing offense averaged 5.8 yards per carry and went over 200 yards. And I think it was Jerry Rice. I'm sure other people said it. And, you know, everybody getting upset that Debo Samuel got in, injured, running over the middle, running through the middle. And it, I don't know, man. I'm just – it's tough for me to to hear that argument anymore. That is a huge part of Debo Samuel's value, as it was a huge part of Trey Lance's value. Look at the stats on Trey Lance's last season, full season as a college quarterback. The dude ran for over 1,000 yards. Debo Samuel became the 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 offensive weapon that he became the wide back because of his ability to run the ball from all over the field. And then we get mad when he when he does it and it doesn't work out. It was a weird weird random like he got tackled, the guy held his ankle in one way and the Debo Samuel kind of had to fall backwards the other way. And he sprained the hell out of it, but like are we really so short-sighted that like the moment a player gets injured doing what he does well, we get upset. Like, I don't know, man. It just seems so weird to be mad that Debo Samuel was running the ball when that is what exploded Debo Samuel onto the scene in the first place last year. The 49ers have playmakers all over the place. They're going to use them to their – that's what Kyle Shanahan does. He uses, and if you see Debo Samuel in person, you will know why Debo Samuel gets the ball as a running back. Because that dude is thick, and he will run people over, and he's tough to tackle. And that doesn't mean he doesn't get action in the in the through the air. He had five targets and four catches for forty three yards. But the dude also for the first touchdown in the game, I think it was a pitch to the right. Either way, it was a, a one a run wide right that was well blocked up that he took to the house. But everybody wasn't upset when he did that. Sure, it wasn't down the middle, but is the running down the middle what got him hurt? What seemed like it got him hurt was the fact that the guy tackled him, Debo Samuel came over him, and then as he turned around and fell backwards, completely twisted his leg. That can happen anywhere on the field. It's 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 a little silly. I, I there may be some credibility to it. I mean, but I'm not going to tell Debo Samuel to stop being Debo Samuel. I'm not going to tell Trey Lance to stop being Trey Lance. And I think Jerry Rice even put in the tweet, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't running the ball down the middle. He was trying to scramble away from pressure and got blasted. 
Damn. Anyways. Brandon Ayuk, decent game, three targets, got two catches for 57 yards and a score, two big plays. I think Brandon Ayuk is the person that's going to take the longest to come along in, in this, this whole offensive scheme. Obviously not a horrible game by any means. He led the team in receiving yards. But in terms of Brock Purdy and building his confidence, I think Ayuk is going to be the last person to start paying off from that, being the perimeter guy, the over-the-middle guy, or excuse me, the along-the-edge guy. But there was another interesting stat floating around that Purdy has already completed more deep passes down the sideline than Jimmy Garoppolo has in like the last two years combined or something, something along those, those lines. He had like two and, and Purdy already has three, <laughs> which is just wild to think about it like that. But anyways, who else do we need to talk about? I'm looking through here. McLeod had a hell of a day returning. I don't know if they have those stats on here. Yeah, they do. Ray McLeod had three punt returns that he averaged 14.3 yards per round, which is great. And then he had two kick returns where he averaged 27 yards apiece on. And he was the 49ers were consistently getting the ball in decent field position and pass. The biggest, the most irritating thing about these returners is they constantly return balls out of the end zone and then they never make it to the 25 yard line. And McLeod was consistently getting up near the 30, past the 30. So that was good to see. Uh, as long as he holds on to the football, that's been his only downfall. As long as he holds on to the football, they'll be good. Mitch Wisnowski averaging 45 yards a punt. Not bad. Not bad. Put one right inside the 10 at one point. That was an impressive punt. Just It just landed and set right where it landed. Let's get back over here. Couple of clutch catches for George Kittle over the middle. Had four for 28 yards. Uh, Danny Gray caught his first NFL regular season pass from quarterback Josh Johnson to ice the game. Good for him. Congratulations, Mr. Danny Gray. On defense, a lot of quarterback hits. Uh, no sacks. Tom, and that's Tom Brady. That is Tom Brady getting the ball out on time and knowing how to maneuver and knowing when the ball needs to get out. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven quarterback hits, two of them by Kerry Hyder, one by Jimmy Ward, one by Nick Bosa, who did not get a sack on Tom Brady. Came very close, hit him, had him falling down, and Tom Brady threw it just a second before, split second before his knee hit the ground. So Nick Bosa was close to sacking Tom Brady and may never get another chance. Kind of sad to think about, but it is what it is. And it is what it is. Jimmy Warren had a very active game. Eight total tackles, one quarterback hit, one pass breakup, and one forced fumble, which Aziz Alshayer recovered. All right, let us – the last thing I want to talk about is the 49ers can clinch the NFC West with a victory against the Seahawks on Thursday. The 49ers are 9-4. and four. The Seahawks are, where are they at on here? Oh, this separated NFC, NFC, NFC. Oh, I have to click NFC. CBS, you suck. You suck, CBS. Seattle is 7-6 and six with a 3-1 and one division record. The 49ers are 9-4 and four with a 4-0 and oh division record. And I believe if they beat the Seahawks on Thursday, the Seahawks will now be 7-7. Seven and seven. The 49ers would be... 10 and 4. And there would be no way for the Seahawks to catch them within the division. 
Hopefully I'm reading that correctly. I've always found the playoff stuff to be kind of confusing, mainly because I haven't been able to put in the effort. I've been unwilling to put in the effort to understand it to its perfection. But one thing I'm looking at right now is the 49ers are currently the third seed in the NFC. No matter what, your first four seeds are dedicated to your divisional winners. Now then, those seeds can adjust based on each divisional winner's record. But... The 49ers are in third, have the third seed. They are nine and four. The Buccaneers have the fourth seed, but they're six and seven. There's no one challenging the Buccaneers for that record. I mean, you've got everybody, you know, obviously everybody in their division is at or lower than the Bucs. So what's nice about this is it looks like the 49ers will be almost guaranteed, if I'm reading this correctly, as long as they beat the Seahawks on and, and there's the pretty much every game here on out is very winnable for the 49ers but if they beat the Seahawks on Thursday I believe the 49ers will maintain that third seed with a strong chance of stealing the second seed from the Vikings who are 10 and 3 one game ahead of the 49ers so the 49ers are in good shape what else is interesting is about that is the Cowboys are in the same division as the Eagles the Eagles are sitting at 12 and 1 two games ahead of the Cowboys. I believe that's technically three games ahead of the Cowboys because they beat the Cowboys already. I mean, I, this is where it gets straight shaky, and I don't want to give you any wrong information, but it almost looks like, given their records, that the Cowboys have almost guaranteed, if nothing dramatic changes between the Eagles and the Cowboys, then the Eagles are going to stay number one, the Cowboys are going to stay number five, which means that the 49ers will not play the Cowboys were out of the out of the gate. Right now, they're slated to face the sixth seed Commanders, and the Vikings are slated to see face the seventh seed Giants. I like facing either the Giants or the Commanders a whole lot more than the Cowboys. Now, do I want the 49ers to eventually face the Cowboys? Wouldn't mind it in the slightest. Because the Cowboys are all over the place. They're one one week dropping 50 bombs. The next week, they're going toe-to-toe with the one-win Houston Texans. So, they're all over the place. But the 49ers have put themselves in a good spot to host a home game for their first playoff game and be going up against a sixth or a seventh seed. If they can, pa- I don't know what the Vikings' schedule is. Let me see if I can pull it up because I want to know. And the Vikings just did they lose today? They, I know they went, they went, they went the distance with the uh, the Lions. They did. They lost thirty four to twenty three to the Lions. You idiots! All right, so let's see what. Let's take a look at the, what the rest of the the uh, the Vikings' schedule looks like. Okay, they just lost to the Vikings. Lions, excuse me. Now they have the Colts. That seems like a Vikings win. Then they have the Giants. Now the interesting thing about that is the seeding there, but the Giants are no slouch. Then they have the Packers and the Bears. So there are a couple games in there, and the Vikings are a little like the Cowboys. You never know what you're going to get, where they could drop a couple and possibly give a chance for the 49ers to slide into that number two seed if the 49ers continue to win games, all four of the rest of the 49ers games are very winnable. You got the Seahawks, Commanders at home, at, at Raiders, then Cardinals at home. 
it's there's still a lot to play for for the 49ers, and they can drastically affect who they are playing in the playoffs by they finish this off. But first order of business is beating Seattle in Seattle to clinch the NFC West. That is the first order of business. All right, no further ado, let us get to your takeaways. Let me close out of everything else. No, nah, I'm going to close out. I might need it. I might need it. All right. Let's start up. Can't remember if we started at the bottom of the top last time. Let's start with the top. Brady has a purdy mouth. <laughs> okay. Okay. Starting off right. The 49ers defense pinches another absolute monster of a game. Yes, they did. Anytime you can hold Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin to seven points, you are doing something right. Back to the tweet, Dre Greenlaw had 4 billion tackles and an interception. They weren't letting Tom out of the building without retiring officially. Tom Brady was losing his mind. He was yelling and screaming and spitting. He looked like he wanted to retire. Next up, we got JF2 Fresh. Always loving it. Brock showed great poise. Yes, he did. He really did. And understanding how much talent he has surrounding him. He made it look like everyone was going slow-mo. Also, I hope Jerry Rice's post gets to Kyle about running our skill guys up the middle. Obviously, we just talked about that. It does seem a little fucking ridiculous. And it does seem like, what do you call that when someone, it's like, you weren't saying shit beforehand, but now that things have gone wrong, now you're saying shit. Like, it's wild to me. It's wild, but I feel you. I feel you too fresh. I I agree, man. I think, I think it's just too like in the moment, like pay no mind to the fact that that's how Debo Samuel got so much cred in the first place. He's pounding the rock as well as catching the rock as well as doing everything with the rock. And now all of a sudden we're not okay with him doing part of what he did. Well, I don't get it. Mike McVeigh, pretty, pretty, pretty Swedish chef's voice. What's that? That's that HBO show. Um, Curb your enthusiasm, right? Is that or, or I? I don't know Swedish chef voice. I know that. I know that. Okay, I know that there's that guy from Curb Your Enthusiasm that says pretty, pretty, pretty good. So I kind of assumed that's where you're going with that. But I'll have to look up what a Swedish chef sounds like in case I was wrong. But wow, what a game he had today! And the defense showed up against. Uh, showed up again. Six wins in a row, and the Seahawks lost. Just bummed about Debo. Hope he's okay. Sack for Bosa would have been nice too. Go Niners. It, yeah, there was a there's a couple things in there keeping this from being just the the epitome of all wins. You know, Debo's injury, Nick Bosa didn't get a sack, those sorts of things. But overall, it's a big step forward for the 49ers against a very good team. The record doesn't show it, but the Bucs are still could still threaten any team on any given weekend. They just haven't done it consistently. Party, party, party. J-Roy, Brock Purdy really showed awareness today. First play, he took a hit, but nothing compared to what he showed us out there today. A lot of quarterbacks, when they get hit, a chance to come in. Oh, excuse me. A lot of quarterbacks, when they get a chance to come in and play great. That initial game, but falter in their first start. Brock Purdy did nothing of the sort. He's got it. Yep, I agree. I, I was fully prepared to see a small step back for Purdy, just given the circumstances and and given the defense he was facing. But if anything, you step forward significantly, which is pretty exciting for the 49ers. So, Graz, some throws, such as the touchdown pass to CMC, were high-level throws, especially in the face of pressure. Offense is still fully in its rhythm, 
and doesn't look like it missed a beat. This was the hardest defense on schedule for him. Shout out to Wish, who is having a phenomenal season. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, mentioned him just a little bit ago. He was uh, he was booming it. But yeah, I think the, I, I, I'm, the overall praise for, for Purdy is warranted. It was he played a better game than everyone expected, and that's not a negative. I just thought everybody kind of, I think everybody expected him to kind of just work his way through the game and try and limit mistakes, but he like took over the game which was, I mean, three total touchdowns. Come on, man. Uh, Alan Chi, just my opinion. At worst, Purdy is going to be a really good backup to Trey Lance. At best, he's going to force Kyle to have an open competition next season. Either way, good problem to have. I very much agree with that. If if Purdy can maintain this level of play and give the 49ers, no matter how far they go in the playoffs, just something to look forward to next offseason, someone to challenge Trey Lance, someone to push Trey Lance, to rise above somebody who's playing currently like Purdy is, that would be the best case scenario for the 49ers, is to not have to just force Lance back into the equation, allow him to earn that job back from somebody who could prove themselves as a good quarterback in Purdy. We'll see. Jonesy. You know what the word uh, – is your name Kevin Jones? You realize this podcast is, one, owned by a guy named Kevin Jones, and two – uh, created by a guy named Kevin Jones. This used to be the Kevin Jones podcast. Anyways, but Jonesy reminds me of a movie called Dreamweaver. It was, I believe, a Stephen King book. It had a lot of big actors in it. Pretty crazy-ass movie. I like it. Anyways, I had a feeling Purdy had the potential to play like this after watching Iowa State highlights. I did the same. I went and watched some Iowa State games. And he could just, yeah, dude is so confident and prepared. I honestly think he's Shanahan's perfect quarterback because he runs the offense exactly how he wants. Yeah, if he can keep an edge on his biggest knock coming out was his size. He's not very big. I think he's like 6'1", and he doesn't have a very strong arm. So you don't have size and you don't have arm strength. Everything else is going to have to be at an elite level. His ability to read defenses, his ability to understand the play, his ability to um, make anticipatory throws, to improvise, all those things are going to have to be great if he's going to overcome the arm strength and the size. And so far, you're like, okay, all right. Uh, Milo, I flew from Australia for the Purdy debut. Damn, good for you. That's such a couldn't be happier. Niners team started to live up to the hype last few weeks. Good for you. What a great trip. You know what I mean? You never, you always fear like when you invest a lot into going to a game like that, the game's going to end up being a disappointer. Still a great experience. But to come all the way from Australia to see that game, shout out to you, Milo. Shout out. Uh, Leo, Leo, Leo Vettetes. Long-time listeners since the Kevin Jones days. See, like, look at this, this. These takeaways are, like, all in sync. They're, like, interwoven with chemistry. I love it. I love it. This team is fun to watch, hoping the Debo injury isn't serious, which turns out it wasn't that serious, because this team is the truth. Postseason, here we come. I appreciate you, Rod. Rob. I appreciate you, Leo, too. Leo, I appreciate you. Um, thank you for sticking around all that time, because the Kevin Jones days were a long time ago, and, and that man has has risen himself beyond podcasts, one could say. Um, but yeah, it, it is a fun team to watch, and I'm hoping you know we get Debo back sooner than later just because that makes it that much more effective and that much more fun to watch. Coot DC, David said, Jimmy G will have another difficult offseason. Shanahan is QB proof. If Trey pans out, watch out. <laughs> That's a lot to take in. I don't know what kind of offseason Jimmy G is going to have. I think it was Ian Rappaport that reported earlier today that Jimmy Garoppolo's out for 
way longer than the season. You know, like, sure, he might recover from his injury in like seven weeks, eight weeks, but then he's still got to work himself back into playing football. So I think the the book is out that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be back. Jeffrey K. Lyles, best part about this win, none of the regulars speculating about Brady playing for SF next year. Mason runs hard. Resigning Greenlaw earlier this year was a very low-key, excellent move. Absolutely. We mentioned it a little bit ago. That was it, it looks even better now. Can this season's movie actually end with a happy ending? Hashtag quest for six. I have not seen that in some time. That hashtag. Um depends on what you feel a happy ending is. If if the happy ending is only ending in a Super Bowl, then man, I mean that just seems like mountain doom sitting in front of you you know there's so much to do to get to where you need to go i mean frodo and sam they've got to get through schmeagle's bum ass and then sam's gonna have to carry frodo who's just being so dramatic about everything he can't just get his ass up and walk up there just like sam is but no sam's got to put him on his back just like brock purdy did and take him up into the volcano and then basically watch anyways Anyways, yes. Can this movie end with a happy ending? It can. There's just so much that has to happen between now and then. But man, what a what a story it would make, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it, Jeff? Trey to the Bay. Purdy is more athletic, Jimmy G, and can throw outside the numbers. Only concern is his arm strength. Absolutely. And and talking about his arm strength isn't a it's not a it's not, we're not being haters. That was just one of his bigger knocks coming out of college you can see it he throws with zip though he gets the ball out quickly he just doesn't really have the arm strength to really threaten defenses with bombs but we've always already seen his ability to throw down the numbers and like i said if a quarterback doesn't have that big arm strength then he just has to throw the ball earlier one two three throw to a spot you know you can't hold on to it very long because you're not going to be able to sling it to where he's going to be by that time has to be anticipatory and that's what we're seeing Christopher Kirby, my takeaway, Bose had wanted a Brady, Brady sack so bad he stayed in long after he should have been out. I agree. There was that one long drive that ended up ending in a turnover on downs, but the starting defense stayed out there, and the whole time I was just wincing because I felt like all of them should be off the field by that point. The score was 35-7. to There was like five minutes left of the game, but everybody's still out there, and I can and I knew I could just tell by the ebb and flow that they were going to take the starters out after that drive. That drive just being, ended up just being a lot longer than they thought it was going to be. But yeah, seeing Bosa out there continuing to line up once the rain was coming down hard, the game was well out of reach. It was it was tough, but he did want that Brady sack, and unfortunately, did not happen. Christopher Gonzalez, pretty good actually. The defense is red hot. Let's fucking go Niners, baby. Hey, let's go. I mean, I'll go where they go because I got to talk about them. Mark Dean, it's pronounced. No, Dane. Mark Dane, it's pronounced like Dane. You had it right the week prior. Okay, Mark Dane. I think I can keep, I'll, I'll try to remember that. Mark Dane. Anyways, Brock reminds me of a lot of Taylor Heineke. Maybe a slightly better version. I actually, I like Taylor Heineke a lot too. Just like the way he plays football. Maybe a slightly better version. Also, I think peeps need to chill on Kyle's play calling. Debo up the middle is just another aspect of his versatility. I agree. Don't think Kyle's to blame for the Debo injury at all. Uh, and again, 
Debo had all the leverage in the world when they were re-signing his contract in terms of what he did and didn't do on the field. And they actually added incentives for rushing into his contract. Now, does that mean it has to be runs up the middle? No, but there's that was that's just the 49ers offense with Debo Samuel. And that is an inherent risk of football. That's it. Uh, Hunter, the hungry coming in with the undertaker gif of him sitting up in the coffin, turning, looking with the eyes rolled. I believe undertakers sit up like that. And Kane did the same thing because he was Undertaker's brother. But I believe it was all inspired by the original Halloween when Michael uh, had just gotten stabbed in the eye by the coat hanger and then stabbed in the stomach by his own knife. Um, And Lori's leaning up against the bed frame and you can see him in the background and he sits up and turns his head and then stands up behind her. And he does. She doesn't know he's coming. And I believe that's where Undertaker got the inspiration for sitting up like that. I believe that's where he got it. Such an iconic scene. Oh, man, I love it. Telenoa Selfanga. <laughs> Brock Purdy. And it just shows a picture of young Tom Brady. <sighs> I mean, shit, if you need a comparison. But Tom Brady's got a little bit. Eh, anyways, still fun. And we're having fun. We're having fun. Josh Tyser. I believe it says Tyser. T-I-C-E-R. Kyle Shanahan deserves a humongous apology from everybody. There's a part of me that agrees with that. I feel like the dude was in his bag just as much as Purdy was in his bag. Like the two of them were just making sweet, sweet music together. And it's a pleasure to watch. Santee Super Bowl is a possibility. Change my mind. I'm not going to change your mind because the Super Bowl is a possibility. There's just a lot that's going to have to go right for the 49ers. They're going to have to avoid injury from here on out. They can't really go much further than Debo. And Purdy's going to have to continue to step up and continue to evolve. And eventually, the teams on the other sideline are going to be playoff teams with respectable defenses. With You know what I mean? It's going to be... And if they're not a respectable defense, he's opposite an offense that can match him step for step, uh, you know, like the Chiefs so or, or the Bills or the Eagles. And... Uh, so I'm not going to change your mind. The Super Bowl is 100% a possibility, but everything is going to have to click from here on out. Paper chaser, 49ers to the bowl. Let's go. Guy person, man. Guy person, man. How is that D-line depth doing? Oh, let's look. Let's look here. All right. We've got the defensive line on their team's roster. Eric Armstead seems healthy, making an impact. Nick Bosa, healthy, making an impact. Samson Ebicom still out there. Kevin Givens suffered a knee injury. We'll wait to see the severity of it because Givens was kind of an underrated, uh, underrated, not a star, but an underrated white collar worker on the inside of, wait, no, blue collar. I'm looking for blue collar, right? Blue collar is the, the everyday guy, not white collar. White collar is the business guys. Blue collar. He, he was just, he was picking up all the slack from that the 49ers have lost on the interior of the defensive line. Ridgeway, um, Kinlaw. Uh, and I've been a Givens fan for for a couple years now, and to see him go down was unfortunate. Hopefully, it's nothing significant because he's he's a, he's a sneaky player on the interior of the defense, um, a real a real grinder. Kerry Hyder out with a uh, an ankle injury that looks significant. We'll see where that goes. Drake Jackson, a rookie, still trying to get his feet under him, but he's he's in there. He's making an impact. Uh, Charles Umenehu playing well, another underrated addition. Hassan Ridgeway is out for the season with a pec strain, I believe. Uh, Ty McGill 
not not quite sure what to say about Ty. I believe he just got recently got promoted. Uh, so that defensive line depth is it's being tested. It's being tested. So it wouldn't surprise me if if they tried to make a, an addition to that group from somebody, you know, on the on, on the streets, as they say. All right, a few more. Luke Farrington, when we trading Trey Lance? Well, not anytime soon. There's there's a lot that has to happen between now and the 49ers even possibly considering that. Alex, 49ers can beat any team, including the Chiefs, when Purdy is playing lights out like this. Uh, I I do agree. It's just it's just such a you know, it's a tall task. I want to see it happen. Uh, it's just tough to even think about that happening. But it, it it can do it if if they if they can play like that they can do it. X tofu r tofu rx x he's got like an Xbox Live kind of gamer tag x x tofu rx pretty damn good absolutely absolutely all right. I mean I think I think that does it. I think that does the damn thing. I'm trying to look through my notes to make sure we covered everything. Let me see. Dre Greenlaw, Brock Purdy. Just clinch the West. Okay. I think we're good. I think we're damn good. I think we are damn good. Hey, thank you once again, especially to my regulars who are in the takeaways consistently every week. I love it. I love it. And let's, let's bring some more in. Trickle on in. Front row seat. Trickle on in, you know, every seat is a front row seat. Get in here, get be a part of striking gold. When you see that takeaway tweet getting fired out, win or loss, get in there. Get in there. Let's go. But to the regulars that are always in it, I appreciate you. Um, to everybody else who's participated in the takeaways, I appreciate you. To everybody listening right now that hasn't participated in the takeaways, I appreciate you too. The takeaways are just one more thing. If you don't have a Twitter account, make a Twitter account. Make one. Follow nobody but me if you need to, but there's plenty of good 49er follows out there. Don't don't get it twisted. All right, guys. Make sure you're listening. Make sure you're downloading. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're passing on the word. If you feel it's worthy, leave a positive review if you feel it worthy. I love you. Thanks again. But you know what we got to do for another episode. I'm Rob, and this is Striking Gold. Signing out. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.